Hi, I'm Gay Hendricks. Welcome to the Big Leap Podcast. What are your top five albums you've ever heard? What are your top five movies? What are the top five or three books that have really changed your life? In this episode, you're going to hear me and Mike talk about what ours are, and maybe then you can join the conversation and tell us about what some of yours are. Yes. And what I love about this episode, first of all, you're going to hear the reason why, because Gay's got a really, really excellent uh, uh, his, his knowledge of history and people and personalities is part of what makes this really interesting. But we also talk about some of our favorite concerts, but also some of our favorite people people who you really need to know or you want to know and this is it's just a delightful conversation that i know you're going to enjoy and like gay said make sure you tell us what your favorites are too so all that and more in this episode of the big league So one of the things that Gay and I have in common is we love a lot of the same things. So I thought we'd call this the top five episode. Now, we may or may not do five, but I wanted to cover the top five books, movies, albums, events, people worth knowing, people worth watching. And Gay's always got an interesting way of looking at these decoding. And I thought this would be fun and entertaining. So Gay, you're ready to rattle off some big favorite things. Yes. What would you like to start with? Which category? Well, I think the more entertaining, the better. So I'd love to start with music because I'd like to know who your top five. And I think albums would be more interesting than performers because we'll get performers as part of it. But um, albums that shape the world because you grew up um, a lot of it during the 50s and 60s. Um, but I don't want to limit the uh, music to that era either. Just yeah. Okay. Well, number one for me, the first album I ever bought, and I'd probably put it up there at the top of the list, is the original first Elvis Presley album, the one with Heartbreak um, Hotel, Don't Be Masterpiece. Cool, uh, I Got a Woman. I mean, it was just one thing after the other, but um, it was that song. You know, you could hear Heartbreak Hotel and um, – uh, don't be cruel on the radio, but some of the other songs on that album were so great. Like his version of "I Got a Woman," I must have listened to that five hundred times when I was a kid. Okay, so let's put Elvis's original album up top there. And I got to see him when I was in the seventh grade. Oh uh, yeah, moment of my life. Um, the second one I would say would be Abbey Road, um, and I'm thinking of albums I've played more than almost anything else. Abbey Road came along at a time, early 70s, when I was um, a graduate student at Stanford. It was a very stressful time in my life and very hardworking time in my life. Um, and I can remember many times just coming home and dropping into that album for an hour, you know, and kind of dropping out of the world. And, and also, I would number three would be an album that I listened to a lot in that very same era which was Nashville Skyline by Bob Dylan. Um, Ah, yeah. uh, So that made a big impact on me because of the the incredible, uh, well, there was a a wonderful range of songs, but it was uh, listening to the way his lyrics crafted different emotional states that really appealed to me. And so I've probably played that, worn out quite a few copies of that. Uh, And as a matter of fact, 
I recently have been listening a lot to the deluxe version of Abbey Road that was remastered and everything by George Harrison's son, Danny. Uh, it was a real labor of love, but the sound is extraordinarily, and there are all these outtakes where you get to hear, you know, like their first version of a song, and then the next version, and then the final version. And uh, so those are, uh, those have a, had a big impact on me. Um, what other albums? Oh, yeah. I would say in fourth place would be The Dark Side of the Moon by Pink Floyd. That oh, had a big yeah. impact on me because I, I didn't know how to dance. And uh, a mentor of mine said, take that album and just play it through and don't try to dance, but just move your body back and forth to the beat, <laughs> which is sort of what dancing is. And, uh, uh, and in fact, I said, you mean dance? And he said, no, no, don't think about dancing. Just move your body back and forth to the beat. So I went back to my little apartment that afternoon and I played the dark side of the moon. And I just stood there in front of the speakers trying to learn how to move my body to the beat. So I learned how to dance partly by listening to that album. So I would put that right up there at the top too. What else did I, would I put in fifth place there? Hmm. 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 I love the album Barcelona by Freddie Mercury and an opera singer named Montserrat uh, Caballé. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that just thrills me. That's very thrilling music. Oh my gosh, I got to say one more. The Third Symphony by Henrik Gorecki. If you've never played the Third Symphony of Henrik Gorecki, G-O-R-E-C-K-I, famous Polish composer, that put that on the top of your list there too. One of the most stunning pieces of music I've ever heard. Wow. Well, one of the things that I did um, in rese researching this, and I recommend everyone check this out, is go to Rolling Stone and look up the 500 greatest albums of all time. I'll make sure that it's in the liner notes. But I'm going to just tell you what the top 10 are, Gay. So you... Um, you'll, you'll, I think you'll appreciate this. So number one, Consider the number one album of all time, according to Rolling Stone, is Marvin Gaye, What's Going On, 1971, followed by the Beach Boys' Pet Sounds. And, um, you know, that this came out right around the same time Beatles' Rubber Soul did. And um, there was... God Only Knows, which was, I think, one of the most magnificent, well-written um, pieces of music of all time. It, it's I cry when I listen. I almost cried just talking about it. That's how uh, um, emotional of a song it is. And then Joni Mitchell Blue. I've never been a big Joni Mitchell fan, but um, my wife Vivian likes her. I've just never dug her. And then Stevie Wonder, Songs in the Key of Life. And number five is The Beatles' Abbey Road. Hmm. Um, Followed by, this is interesting, Nirvana, Nevermind, which is a, uh, another big one. Fleetwood Mac Rumors, Purple Rain by Prince is number eight. And then Bob Dylan, Blood on the Tracks is number nine. And Lauren Hill, the miseducation of Lauren Hill, who's an interesting um, character. But then, um, you know, you keep on going and, you know, you get to the Beatles, Revolver and Michael Jackson. But again, if you really want to, jog your mind um with some fascinating stuff this is it, it's really a great way to, to get exposed to big ideas and turn on the way back clock so that's All music right, 
Well, what about what about yours though? What um, about your top five? Well, I the God honest truth gay is I I'm all over the place with music because I I love so much, but I'm going to tell you a couple that really have impacted me, and I I. I thought were extraordinary. So I, I growing up, I was a huge Pink Floyd fan as well. And um, it was the wall, dark side of the moon, <clears throat> and then wish you were here and animals, all of those really, really uh, powerfully affected me. And um, another album, I don't know if I'd put it in my top five, but I listened to it nonstop was Moody Blues on the threshold of a dream which was a really fantastic um, semi-psychedelic, but incredibly complex. And then uh, another one that I love because it was holographic in nature and not a lot of people would even recognize this, but Roger Waters had, um, uh, God, I don't even remember the exact name, but it's, 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 it's about hitchhiking. So it's one of Roger Waters solo albums. And it was one of the most exceptionally well-crafted, well-engineered albums and it's a story about a guy's life hitchhiking and it and it you literally live a lifetime inside the album mm-hmm. and it was uh really powerfully affected me um and another one that i i still love i've always been a huge police and sting fan um i loved the synchronicity album it was wow exceptionally well produced and of course it was one of the first concerts i ever saw along with rush moving pictures oh yeah oh that's so good and um um and then yeah so rush police and i also was a big fan of of yes so um they were exceptionally talented uh performers and musicians and also studio musicians so the 90125 album was another exceptional album and part of that is i i remember it because it was one of the first concerts i ever saw but um that led me down the path of following john anderson who performed with vangelis and um and so i have that album that oh you do okay yeah, so if you there's there, John and Vangelis actually played a lot of stuff together, but um, you know over the years I was a huge fan of of many many soundtracks, and if you start going down the Vangelis John uh, Anderson route, that'll lead you to uh, Genesis and Peter Gabriel, and um, and so again I have an eclectic love of all things whether it's raw. Uh, jazz, you know, Miles Davis and um, uh, John Coltrane, all the way to like, uh, you know, Frank Zappa and Captain Beefheart. Um, mm-hmm. So, um, and, you know, if you haven't listened to some Beefheart, it takes a while to get used to him and you realize there's this, he had one of the most profound vocal ranges um, ever recorded. Um, really fascinating guy. So the the last one I'll throw on here, even though I over answered the question, is Joe's Garage by Frank Zappa. Absolutely hilarious album about Scientology, and he was <laughs> reaming Scientology in the seventies. It was wow. unbelievably brilliant, and it's basically a complete rip and tear down of um, 
um, L. Ron Hubbard and it involves a lot of robot sex. I will just say that. So if you haven't listened to it, the album is just filled with hilarity and lots and lots of multi-layered jokes about the recording industry, musicians and, and all that. So I just, I, I really miss brilliant lyricism and complex um, songwriting and the craft of, and the poetry of album making when every song led you somewhere like Rush and Led Zeppelin used to do. And, and certainly Pink Floyd where you, you literally got immersed in a movie inside your mind by listening to an album and looking at the art. Yeah. While we're on the subject, why don't we do top three or top five concerts? Um, because oh. uh, I, I got to see Peter Gabriel um, back in the eighties and Katie, oh my still God. Talks, Katie still talks about that concert it was do you remember which album it was uh yeah it was well it was after sledgehammer and that whole set of oh things, yeah uh, yeah uh, yeah came out so he did um i forget the name of that album but um this was an amnesty international uh, thing uh. with uh, u2 peter gabriel and two or three other uh acts but peter gabriel was really the stunning I, i've never seen a performer be able to do what he did with that audience. You know, like at the end, he had 16,000 people singing a song as he departed from the stage. You know, it was just, yeah, gives me chills even thinking about. Um, I also got to see uh, Roger Waters do The Wall, and I got to oh. see Pink Floyd without Roger Waters, but I've seen Roger Waters twice, uh, last time down at the Hollywood Bowl. Um, I mentioned the Elvis concert. It was great seeing Elvis. But the sound technology in 1957 or whenever that was, was so rinky dink. You know, the, it just wasn't immersive sound like you get today. Mm -hmm. Uh, the first concert I ever really saw with mind boggling sound was Jimi Hendrix in 1967. Oh, uh, yeah. There was this bank of Marshall amplifiers back against the back wall of the stage, you know, and, uh, it was, probably the most thrilling sound I've ever heard just to hear what he could do live on his guitar. And it was on his first mm. tour. So he was excited about it and he was there, you know, and he wasn't into dope big time yet. And, um, so, uh, and I also, um, I love the bass player, Tony Levin, who used to play with. Oh my Peter, God. Peter with, yeah. And, and, uh, Genesis. And Genesis. And he played, yes. yeah. Oh, and yeah. So Exceptionally to, talented guy. Yeah. And so I've gotten to see Tony Levin a number of times uh, with his uh, band Stickmen. Uh, so it, it's um, and also when he was with King Crimson. Um, yes. So I've seen them a number of times, too. So I love the kind of the a lot of the English progressive rock. That's kind of. Oh, and I got to see Led Zeppelin several times also. Um, that was pretty <laughs> oh, thrilling. Yeah. That was pretty thrilling to hear in person, too. Mm, also, I say yeah. with concerts, I like indoor concerts a lot better than I like outdoor concerts because of the sound. I'm a sound freak, you know, and so yes. you just cannot get great sound in a stadium, uh, no matter what you do. I I couldn't agree more. I'm definitely a uh, a snob that way for sure, and. Um, so again, we've, we've got very similar tastes. So I, I think the only add on here, I ended up seeing, 
I've seen you two a couple times. And one time they played with Black Eyed Peas and it was um, just, you know, mind blowing. And, and every time you'd see them, you'd be like, how in the hell have these guys, first of all, they've been on the road and performed for, I think it's close to 40 years now uh, as a band. They've been together since they were teenagers and just holding it together <clears throat> is, is mind blowing. But the second thing is just to be able to perform like that. And then um, I, I had the good fortune of seeing the police both in their synchronicity tour, which is really their biggest breakout album. Um, and then back together when they, when they reunited and they were just as tight then um, as they were back then. I mean, just so, you know, cause um, you know, the drummer, um, God damn, I just, I'm spacing Stuart on his name Copeland. right now. Stuart Copeland. He's, he's a concert composer and drummer he's you know he he's he's one of these guys who moves very little compared to the sound that comes out of out of that kit and he's a minimalist and i always appreciated that about him compared to rush which i also saw and and uh, multiple times and they and I, I saw them again when their moving pictures came out which again what i'd consider their biggest breakout album that mainstreamed them and then not too long ago I went with uh, Brian Hilliard, um, Ariel's husband, for those of you who don't know him. Uh, and we went and saw Peter Frampton. And, you know, he's uh, got a degenerative disease. So he was at the end of his career where he wouldn't be able to perform anymore. But he still performed flawlessly. He just had reached a point where his he was having degradation. And, um, <clears throat> and the opening band was, um, oh, I'm, gonna, I'm having a... Led Zeppelin's uh, John Bonham's son, who's also a drummer, they were uh, they played Zeppelin music, and they had a a young Asian Filipino guitarist performing as um, who's the guitarist? Help me out, Jimmy Page. Jimmy Page dressed up like him, but he's this short little guy. But he had all the moves, still played the double neck, and I mean he was a precise copycat, very much in the way that. Um, uh, Journey brought back a uh, a young Filipino kid who was like a street performer and um, sounded exactly like Steve Perry. And uh, but he's you know five two, just this little guy, but just like a parrot emulator. And it was delightful to watch. So I I, I love seeing some of the old bands come back because I I think you know going back I saw Journey as well and they were like mind bogglingly great performers and steve perry would be playing with no in-ear monitors he just had that voice and that rock and roll movement that i think the only person who to this day is uh to this day i think the greatest performer on stage is freddie mercury as a rock and roller i think he uh, actually could outperform prince or um elvis and I didn't see Elvis, but that's just based on my observation. So there you go. It's mine. All right. And uh, while we're on the subject, though, I do have to say, too, to counterbalance this, that I've seen a couple of concerts that were monster disappointing, too. People that are very excited about seeing, <laughs> okay. but turned out to yeah. suck in person. And uh, Who was that? Well, one was Steely Dan. They oh, no. Yeah, they produce really great music to listen to. And I very excitedly once went to a, a concert in Denver 
Again, it was an outdoor concert, so the sound wasn't exemplary, but I could see that they basically, by that time, hated each other's guts. Nobody acknowledged anybody else on the stage or anything like that. You know, it was like they sat at different ends of the stage. So it was like uh, everybody was wanting to not be there. So that was a problem. I also was really disappointed. I'd always wanted to uh, go to an Elton John concert, and I went to one. And it turned out to be kind of just him and a piano and a drummer. I, I didn't realize that going in. And so uh, it turned out to be, he played a lot of B-sides and things like that. But I was very disappointed in that. I was also, frankly, disappointed in Bob Dylan, too, because he's such an unshowman-like guy that um, I would put also Van Morrison in that category because I was very disappointed. I've seen him a couple of times. And, you know, most of the times he stands there with his back to the audience the whole time. And when he does sing, he sings with his eyes closed. So the whole time, he never made any contact with anybody in the room. And uh, yeah, that's that's disappointing. I like to see people, you know, take the room along with them, you know, and be right in that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You want it? You're there for larger than life, and and that is, uh, and also to witness if there is a classic. Like we saw right before the pandemic started, we went and saw Brian Ferry, who came to San Diego. And he still doesn't, he does not have the pipes he once had, but he was still a consummate professional performer in every way. And he had some of his original bandmates with him and vocalists who were just angelic. Um, so it's, it's again, going back to, um, I say this to, to, uh, in all sincerity, which is I'm so disappointed with the majority of music being produced today. It's generic Ugh. crap. Yeah. Um, I hate to sound like an old and, guy, an old codger. But, I know, uh, but boy. let's just yeah. strap it on today, my friend. So uh, <laughs> um, I, I couldn't agree more. So Although, well, let's uh, go down. I've heard a couple of performances that just blew me away. I don't know. Did you happen to catch uh, Kelly Clarkson singing Garth Brooks's song, The Dance, at his... Uh, Kennedy Center honors a couple of weeks ago. No, I didn't. I didn't, well, but it, she was I, awesome. I've watched it three times now, and each time it's brought me to tears. So check out YouTube and get Kelly's version of the dance on the Kennedy Center honors Garth Brooks. It had okay. him in tears halfway through it. Um, wow. And it's a great song. It's one of the great songs in country music, but her version of it, oh my gosh. I'd never really paid any attention to her. I know she was a American Idol person and all that, and I'd never actually yeah. seen American Idol, so I, I missed out on her there. But uh, boy, did her voice blow me away! Oh, that's fantastic. We ought to do books before we finish. How about top yeah, three, top five books? I want to. I want to hit your book list. So, uh, so let's have it. The first one is probably a weird one, but I read it every year. It's called Meetings with Remarkable Men by. G.I. Gurdjieff. And uh, it's the story of his wanderings in Central Asia and around um, in search of truth back about a hundred and some years ago in the 1890s, turn of the century. And of course, Gurdjieff later on came to the West and developed an institute and became influential in lots of ways. But hearing his description of what he had to go through to get wisdom, you know. Like today, we can punch up something. If we want to hear some guru, we can punch him up on YouTube or her up on YouTube and watch a few 
videos of the guru. But in those days, he had to hike all the way through Central Asia to Tibet and, you know, ride a mule into Pakistan and all those kinds of things in order to get the kind of wisdom he was getting. So um, it was it was a stunning book and also became a pretty good movie that also has some amazing uh, Sufi dances in it. Uh, so I recommend both the book and the movie. So that would be number one, probably a book I read every year. Number two would be Thaddeus Golis's book, The Lazy Man's Guide to Enlightenment. And I picked it up one time. It was a dollar and a half in a little bookstore way back a long time ago. <laughs> I don't know how many hundreds of times I've read it now, but it's only about 80 pages long, but it will turn your brain around. And I highly recommend it. Let's see. So three, what would three be? Hmm, hmm, hmm. You know, fiction. I probably learn about as much from fiction as I do from psychology and spirituality. Books. Mm, mm -hmm. And if you pick up any book like Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy by John Le Carre, um, I recommend that one in particular, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy. It's got such depth of psychology in it, in addition to being a great spy story. So um, I would put that as number three. And what I put as number four? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. What do I pick up more often than not? Uh, I'm kind of blocking on. Maybe I just got three right now. What do you got? Okay. I'm going to um, <clears throat> take kind of a, like a weird path on this one, which are, I'm going to tell you some books that really affected me at important times in my life. Uh, because there was uh, the first one that got me down the pathway of personal growth and development, even though my mom had um, some books around the house. Um, and I'm trying to think of their names, but there are some of the original personal growth books, but it was really unlimited power and awaken the giant within by Tony Robbins and going to some of his events. They um, it, it was because of that, <clears throat> that I started going to, uh, the whole life expo. I met a guy who used to lead trips with people like Tony, Ra well, with Wayne Dyer, Deepak Chopra. So after going, getting exposed to Tony, I signed up for a trip that went to Egypt. So we visited all the Egyptian monuments and tombs and stuff with Deepak and Wayne. I ended up meeting Wayne's wife at the time and his daughter. And I also met Ariel Ford and Brian on this trip and a guy named Tom Gigax, who was I from Minneapolis Tom. when I lived there. So, yeah. And Tom ended up hiring me as an advisor and a consultant to do some electronic stuff right after I had sold my agency. And that led me to meeting a guy named Gordy Schaefer, who um, his mother used to partner with. Um, uh, um, oh, forgive me for a minute here. Jeremiah Abrams, who wrote the original Shadow of America book, which influenced uh, Debbie Ford, and he was a therapist to a lot of people we know. Well, he took me to Greece the following year, where I met Vivian. Oh. So, if you take, if you go down the the pathway, you <laughs> and I indirectly met because I read uh, Unlimited Power: Awaken the Giant Within. Met. Ariel, Ariel introduced us, and that eventually connected me with my wife, who used to work for Deepak, which then opened up this world of 
insane working with personal development gurus, et cetera, et cetera. So um, that's why I brought that one up. Ah, and then that's great. Uh, <clears throat> yep. So then there was a period of time I went through a huge heartbreak. So it was after my first marriage ended and after I had sold my business. Um, I met a woman and we had a relationship for a little while and she dumped me right before I was about to visit her in Florida. And I had already had the ticket. I had nowhere to go. So I just went down there, rented a car and drove to the keys. So on the way out of, uh, as I was about to jump into the car, I picked up a cassette tape of Wayne Dyer's manifest your destiny. And I listened to that over and over again as I crossed Florida from the top, basically from Orlando all the way down to Florida Keys and back up again. And it wound up affecting me in such a way that I, I think it shaped how I manifest and create to this day. Um, and eventually I got to meet and you know, spent time with Wayne and his family. And I, I kind of semi-dated his daughter. So that's kind of a weird thing that uh, happened um, too. And then the last one is a how-to book. Um, but it again, it shaped me. So around 99 or so, I discovered Dan Kennedy. And I started reading all of his books and getting all of his material and buying his stuff on eBay. And um, uh, you know, a few years later, he came out with this book called The Ultimate Sales Letter. And I modeled that. I copied it and it opened up my eyes to the power of, of great copywriting. And I, I know I read other ones, but that was still one of the best. And I, I, to this day, one of the greatest skills you can ever learn is not just how to write, but how to write sales copy. And mm -hmm. um, so for fiction, I, I'm at a little bit of a loss because I, I've read a lot of pulpy fiction, but I will just flat out say... Every one of Kurt Vonnegut's books I've loved and adored. I think he's one of America's greatest writers. And uh, Breakfast of Champions and Venus on the Half Shell are two of his most hilarious books because um, he has this unique way of tilting life on its side in such a way that you look at everything differently. And um, uh, I, I, I just think he, he was a great gift and he completely changed the way I, I looked at life through a humorous comedic uh, point of view and I could laugh at the funniest things. And it was uh, because um, I had a great teacher in ninth grade in our, my humanities class named um, Chris theme who had us read Vonnegut and also like, uh, you know, slaughterhouse five, you know, and a lot of banned books. Every book we read had been banned at one point in time. I love Kurt Vonnegut too. I think I've read all of those. Um, yeah, one of the things that I feel needs to be done someday is somebody needs to make a, some really good movies out of Kurt Vonnegut material. You know, oh. there, there hasn't been really anything uh, that was really great that came out of his material. I, you're so right. I, I, I mean, the science fiction possibilities. Um, yeah, I uh, couldn't agree more. So, so good. All right. So here would be the, the last one on this list. I'd love to know. Uh, by the way, this has been a ton of fun. Um, but if you had to pick <clears throat> some of the top people 
worth knowing um and either you already know them or you wish you did what pops up for you out of people who you know or wish you did um and I, i'm gonna just stick to living or were living when you knew them mm. yes um well krishnamurti the indian philosopher mm. jay krishnamurti um was one of the towering experiences of my life being able to be around him when he was still alive um i first connected up with him in the early 70s and went to spend time with him many times between then and the time he passed away in the mid 80s um and he lived a very long life i think he was 85 or 86 when he died um so that was huge for me because it opened my mind in so many different ways uh, because he was kind of a, the ultimate purist in a way, um, in the sense that he didn't believe in any kind of, any kind of external beliefs, anything about reincarnation or anything like that. He was just yeah. pure in the moment. And that was really incredibly important to me at the time, finding my way through the thicket of belief systems and all that to kind of find the pure thing underneath. Uh, so I would say that, um, as far as people that I knew when he was alive, he would probably be the top of the list there. Um, I'm trying to think of people I've hung around with uh, of late that uh, uh, some of them are people like uh, that are kind of hard to find, like uh, a Tibetan Lama named Oli Nidal. He's, um, he's still around, but you kind of have to would have to look hard to find him. Um, okay. But he's worth finding. Um, hmm, hmm, hmm. Who else would be? Um, oh, How about man. someone damaged that you loved <laughs> or love? <laughs> Somebody who was damaged? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Damaged people are always fun. Oh, man. <laughs> Maybe we don't want to mention them after that. Yeah, I, that's, that's a problem for me to say. <laughs> 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 I want to still keep getting invited to their houses at Christmas time. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah, yeah, oh, that's great. Uh, no, um, I, um, I, I'm just drawing a blank right now because I hang around so many fabulous people. It's like once I got yeah. on the wavelength, you know, if people I would call in a moment, you know, like Jack Canfield, if I wanted to talk about something, I'd call him or I'd maybe call John Gray or he and I communicated when his wife passed away uh, you know mm -hmm. so i know all these fabulous people and so it's hard to single out any one particular one but um um you know someday we'll have to do uh, we'll have to have our lawyers come in and sit in on us while we talk about all the obnoxious truly obnoxious people we've known in our travels oh my god yeah so i was just looking through my text messages here for uh, a couple of them because um I've had the good fortune of meeting and becoming friends with a lot of people I've admired over the years. Um, and so I'm going to just give you a, a, a quick list here of some of them. Obviously I I'd say one of the top on the list has been Tony Robbins. He, he turned out to be one of the most fascinating people I ever spent uh, time with, did business with, and he's very complex, very complex human being, but, um, uh, I learned a lot because of him and, and, and because I was in his proximity for, for years and years, um, it forced me to really grow. 
another person I really enjoyed uh, enjoy is Brian Tracy. Got to know him and did a bunch of stuff with him. Um, he's another fascinating creator. Um, and he's got, uh, he's, you know, he's a complex character. I'll, I'll just say that. Um, and, and, you know, traveled with him a bit, drank a lot of wine with him. So, uh, another one is Dan Sullivan. Um, and also someone that you and I have in common, Stuart Emery. Mm. He is a fascinating, interesting guy. I really love him. And for people who don't know who he is, he's one of the guys who helped create and launch what became the landmark or it was Est at the time it became landmark. He was the, actually the first S trainer other than Werner Earhart, I believe. Yeah, that's right. Um, and he's got fantastic Werner Earhart stories. A um, lot of, lot of uh, things there. Another I one. Imagine, uh, yeah, I, uh, I had the opportunity to know Werner, not real well, but um, okay. I've actually also worked with <clears throat> several people who used to work with him. So, uh, yeah, he was a fascinating character, too. I was only around him on a couple of occasions. Um, but he had a very complex, he was very clear up in front of an audience. He had a very complex offstage life. Yes. That and, uh, what Stuart, um, you know, I, I I won't say too much and just in case it's sensitive, but I mean, he's still alive and he met him not long ago and he's kind of a, he's, you know, he's old now. He's just lost his his way um and he's you know he's been through a lot of stuff as you can imagine <clears throat> another one who is endlessly fascinating i walk with him pretty often is darren hardy um you know from success magazine my god is he a high performer disciplined guy and again really quirky and, and interesting um i learn a lot every time we're together and another gentleman who uh he founded uh lululemon chip wilson Worth checking out. He's he recently was interviewed on Tim Ferriss's podcast, and I got to know parts of him that I didn't know before. And I, I haven't spent a ton of time with him, but he's if you'd meet him, he's kind of like he's like Viking. He's huge. He's big. He shaves his head. Um, he's Canadian. You would never in a million years say, "Oh, yep, he's the founder of Lululemon." <laughs> but um, really fascinating guy, and um, you know, connected to that. Um, Tim Ferriss is, is I've spent, you know, I did some work with him and he is a really interesting, another very complex guy. Um, he's very open now about some of the challenges he's had in his life. He's, uh, um, and how he's wrestled with anxiety and depression and that kind of thing. But wow, what a fascinating dude. And then I've got two more here, even though this is supposed to be a top five, but or top 10 or five, I've given you a couple more. One of them is Joseph McClendon, who for over 30 years, he's been uh, run a lot of Tony Robbins events. He's an African-American guy who's uh, always on all the UPW events, but he's a he's a performer, presenter, speaker, high performance expert and how he's managed and negotiate being on stage with Tony for 30 years and doing business on and around him is endlessly fascinating he's just a great guy um talk to him pretty frequently and the last one is someone no one's ever heard of but is lee stein i don't know if you've met lee i met him through uh, ariel and brian okay he's been to my house so, we've sat out by my pool talking isn't he an interesting man he's a producer's producer you know he's behind the scenes at like x prize and ted so everyone who needs to know him knows him but nobody's ever heard of him 
and he's got a real low profile, but he's got a true genius mind. And he's another one of my walking, my regular walking buddies. But every time I'm with him, it's just like he drops a truth bomb, value bomb that just opens up. You know, it's not just your third eye, but your fourth eye mm-hmm. and um, shakes yeah, the, the foundations. He's, he's only been here one time, but I, I'd like to get to know him better. Sometimes I yeah. envy you guys that live in the big city. I live up here in my little mountain retreat and uh, uh, we don't uh, get as much traffic up here. Well, we'll have to figure out a way uh, to to throw together. We've we started doing superpower dinners down here, and uh, I'll have to find a way to persuade you and Katie to come down. And we do these, you know, great food, great wine, and uh, just really fascinating people in our backyard. And uh, it might be the time to throw one of those things together soon. You know, we should do a, a show with Lee Stein just because he's so fascinating, and not many Done. people know his uh, presence in the world, but. Uh, uh, it would be great to talk to him because he's, uh, you know, one of those walking geniuses, you know. That, uh, it, Consider it pl- done. I'll, you, yeah. Yeah, you could put him down in the middle of Prague and he could have a business going by that night or put him down in Adelaide, Australia, and he could get something going. Oh, yeah. No, he's he's the guy. I always say he's the guy who gets the Pope on the phone, but um, it'll be like, oh, yeah, I just got off the phone with the governor. You know, it'll be like. All right. And uh, oh, yeah. And we're around. It'll be like they've got a hundred million dollar deal going on. And I'll be like, how in the hell? Because, you know, he he came up with the Carbon X Prize that Elon eventually uh, sponsored. That was his project. So um, but I'll text him as soon as we're done here. I'll make sure that we've got him on on an episode of the show and we'll deep dive into the genius at least. So sounds good. Well, this has been a lot of fun. Maybe we'll do another top five show another time and take on a bunch of other areas of life. but. Books, movies, people, music. I think we've got a good start here. I love it. I love it. <clears throat> well, uh, with that, let's um, officially wrap this up, bring it to a close. So there's two big ideas that we have for you. One of them is if you haven't already gone and seen Gay's latest book, which is Your Genius Zone, go to GeniusZoneBook.com. Check that out. There's a free chapter and an audio meditation. And of course, the book is awesome, too. And speaking of awesome and working with Gay, uh, we have put together the Big Leap Experience, uh, which you can learn more by going to bigleappodcast.com slash apply. But here's what's important. We've included a bonus called 90 Days in Your Genius Zone, which is an opportunity to get coached, advised, and managed by Gay, making sure you get in your genius zone, you stay in your genius zone, and you avoid the pitfalls that are part of the Big Leap, which are your upper limits. So uh, you can also text to get some information and some goodies by texting the letters BL to 858-434-5316. Anything else you'd like to add before we close this up, Gay? Well, the things I like, the music I like, they're all about genius. You're all about people. When I think of Pink Floyd, those guys just got down in there and released their pure creativity on the world. And so that's what I want for everybody. That's what I'm doing here is trying to get everybody in touch with their genius so that we live in a world of genius. That's the world I want to live in. You're here. I love it. Well, uh, the next step is yours. By the way, make sure you comment. If you've got someone who you think would enjoy this episode, uh, make sure you share it with them and uh, comment on iTunes. 
and like and do all the social media of this that and the other thing so thank you for another great episode gay and thanks for listening or watching thanks a lot everybody thank you mike